0: To the point where we're saying, okay, to really have the joy of the Lord, you got to be—you got to be in relationship with God. You got to be with Him. It's not just, you know, it's not like you you ask for a deposit of joy. The same way with peace, it's not like God sends some some peace down the pipeline and you get some peace. It it comes from interaction, connection. It comes from that relationship with the Lord. And and even praying for joy, praying for peace i I think there's a, I think we have kind of a, a strange way to look at it, that we, that we pray for this in some kind of like disconnected thing, and the Lord is saying He wants us to pray for those things, there's nothing wrong with that, but according to Scripture, those actually grow in our life as we let the Holy Spirit uh, be in charge of us. And so so I want to take this in a different direction a little bit, same concept, I'm going to come back to it a little bit through this morning, but this week and next week, I'm going to be talking about praying and and spending time with God, really getting in and spending time with the lord and and then next week i 'm going to focus not just on the praying but i 'm going to focus in on fasting, also what that looks like and and to as kind of as a, of a body of, of us here that we spend some time make some commitments and spend some time praying and fasting uh, next week now this week coming up we don't have that it 's not like official this is what we 're doing i 'm going to do some 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 looking at that teaching about that next week, and then we'll We'll make some kind of commitments to that uh, coming up the following week. But but obviously, we encourage you, some of us around here have been already talking about this, thinking about this, and doing some praying and fasting over these last few weeks in, in approaching this. There's a few reasons why I'm looking at this subject. One has to do specifically with the idea that we need some of these things, we need this joy, we need this peace in our spirit, and and this comes from this connected relationship, which is a prayer issue, the other side is: is I think there's a spiritual dynamic in our church. We just really need this. We need to push forward in some of this kind of thing. We need to really have the the presence and the closeness of the Lord in our lives. And and so even as even as next week, as we kind of do this as a formal call to prayer kind of mentality that we're that we're being intentional about this and going after the Lord. And then and then also to, to kind of uh, look at the way we look at the subject of of talking to God, praying, and those kind of things, and, and maybe to help us out with it this morning. So so I was, I've been asking different groups of people this for the last two or three weeks, and, and trying to just listen to how we're processing this, the idea of praying, and, and so Paul says in Scripture that we're supposed to pray without ceasing, and what does that mean? And, and I think there is a really good, healthy understanding we have of this, and then it can also be not um, healthy. The exact same mentality can actually be detrimental to us. And the idea is this, that if we're praying without ceasing, we're talking to God all the time. I think that's very good. I think that's a very healthy thing. I think it's important for us to, to have that. In fact, I think the church has done some, some good shifting over the last few decades in kind of processing this. What does it mean to be praying constantly? Praying in the spirit, um, also just seeking God on a regular basis, just kind of talking to the Lord uh, all day long. I, I think there, there used to be kind of a mentality. I know, it, I know it existed even when I was a kid growing up in the early 90s. Um, that that there was this mentality that you couldn't um, you couldn't you, you, that praying was a moment you had to like kneel down to an altar and there had to be all these formal words and all this other stuff that happened and that's what praying was or like the Lord's prayer or something else and uh, and and that's what praying was and then there began to be a shift uh, in the late sixties early seventies although I didn't come around to the nineties a shift in the late sixties early seventies. That, that I noticed that was um that that we began to kind of look at things a little differently and process the the idea that y- you can actually have an ongoing relationship with the Lord that's a communicative relationship, and uh, even some of the charismatic uh, renewal and stuff like that kind of brought some of these things to the surface of, of us looking at this and so this is the question that I would have is knowing that that is a, is a necessary good thing. You know, the idea of your steering wheel is an altar. You can spend time praying on the way to work and stuff. That's good. It's necessary. It's important. But my question is, is this good enough? Is this something that we would say, well, I think that basically gets the job done. Is, is it good enough that we just kind of talk to God all day long? I think it's important. I think it's necessary. And I'm not trying to undermine that, uh, as part of our ongoing existence but but the the question i 'm having is is that really good enough? Is that going to um, accomplish in, uh, all the things that the Lord is wanting to try to accomplish in our life and are we are we really going getting to the place that we need to to be on a regular basis with this so let 's go to uh, <clears throat> excuse me let 's go to Daniel chapter six and look at some things with daniel there's there 's a lot of stuff here and i 'm and, and I would love to just unpack everything that's in here. And I, I kind of did get off track a little bit in first service, but I'm going to try not to this service. Just stay very limited. There's only a few things I want to focus in on, but, but we need the story for the context of some of this. So Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. Now, to give us a little background so we understand what this means. What is he talking about? The, the, the Medes had had um, um, attacked and taken over the Hebrew people, right? The Hebrew people had been captured. This is the same thing. You hear the term sometimes the Medes and the Persians. Those are two different people groups, and they were in war in the same context, in the same place at the same time. The Medes, the Persians uh, attacked the Israelites, took them over. The Medes came in and, and um, attacked them, took it over. And so you have, you have these battles that are going on, and the Israelites had become captured and become slaves to these people. All right, that's, that's, I think, pretty important in, in this story is that when we see, we're about to look at Daniel and some of the stuff with Daniel. Daniel was a captured slave. He was not just, he wasn't a Mede. He was Hebrew. He wasn't part of their people group. It was a different bloodline. It was a different people group. And they had come in and they captured and Daniel became a slave to these people. And so then we see where the king, King Darius, is, is breaking up all these things in the province and putting people into positions of authority. Now, they did have a unique way of looking at some of this, and specifically with their slaves. They would take um, some of the younger uh, guys, pr- predominantly males. I mean, they had place for the women too, but that was in the harems and things like that. But they would take these teenage boys up to early 20s, young men, and... And, uh, and then they would put them into the schools and they were a very advanced people group for their time frame. Uh, they studied a lot. They had a lot of science mentalities. A lot of other people groups didn't at that time frame. And so then they would put all these guys into schools and teach them about astrology and and um, uh, probably astronomy actually, maybe both. And, and science and all the things of the day. Leadership, they would teach them kingdom rule and stuff like that. And then they would give them positions of authority. And Daniel had got to the point where he was uh, in charge of a lot of things. So that's where we get to this. The king also chose Daniel and the two others and two others as administrators. This is also the same time frame, same people and same everything as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of these um, these other young men that were put into positions of authority, three of them were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay? So the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. A Hebrew slave is going to be given the responsibility of everything in the Medes' uh, empire. That's already a pretty amazing thing. That's already a pretty amazing miracle. Now, this is... um, this, this is something, this next couple verses is something that when you're looking at leadership and you're looking at um, business development and things like that, this is, this is a really good place in Scripture to go to to get some basic principles and things. And this is something that I, I've done this at different times over the years in, in leadership seminars or teaching young pastors or whatever, and specifically even, even uh, teenagers, where you're saying if you, if you want to be successful in today's society, in the workplace, in any level, whether you, you know, you're working for Chick-fil-A or the CEO of IBM or something, this is, this is, you need to get these basic things. Look at this. So Daniel had, had risen to the place where he was over the entire empire. This is the reasons. Verse 4, Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. That's a starting point right there. He was always faithful always responsible, completely trustworthy. Those are, those are basic working principles that if you go into your workplace every day and you say, that's who I'm going to be, you will be successful in that place. And if you can can take the next step of what Daniel is doing and say, God, I'm going to surrender myself to you and put you first in all things so that you're actually getting the glory for this, and we see that they that these people recognize immediately that the reason he was that is because he was spending time with God. He had he had religious direction and focus, and they saw the t- connection of the two. If you will do that, sometimes you'll be pushed down or persecuted or whatever. But let's be pretty let's be pretty uh, revelatory from this scripture to say in any setting, in any situation, even though there can be an anti Jesus mentality or we don't want your Christianity here mentality, m- most of the time. Even in an ungodly kingdom like the Medes, most of the time the company wants to make money, move forward, and be successful. Okay? Unless you're TV, and you'll put some TV shows on when the ratings are zero and you keep putting them on for political agendas and stuff, that's not the same thing. Most of the time, your industry has to move forward financially. And so when they come across somebody that is trustworthy and faithful and always responsible, they will promote that person. They will put that person into positions of, of responsibility and authority. And, and for some reason, we miss that oftentimes in today's society. And, and let's let's own this a little bit. The church doesn't always do well with this. When you go into work, are you giving your best at all times? Are you giving your best regardless of what is being expected by the, 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 the company or your boss or something else? Are you, are you lazy about it just because you can and everybody else is? Or are you really going and saying, God, I'm going to glorify you with who I am. And today I, I'm doing this, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing this as, as, as a, a testimony that you're my God. It would have been very easy for Daniel just to say, well, I'm a slave, so what, what input could I have? Right? How about in charge of the whole kingdom? How about that kind of input, even if you go you know I, I, just, I, w- I just mentioned the fact that I was down at in Texas at, at Southwestern Simmons regard university I was, I was down there for this is the homecoming it 's also the 90 year anniversary and i and I sit on the board down there and so we, we were down there doing some things like that, and one of the things that we do is we give awards away um, to people and we, we acknowledge and honor different people in, in three or four different categories of life uh, like, uh, well, one of the categories to put is is uh, somebody that's graduated from there that's in the marketplace that is doing amazing in the marketplace and we give an award for that. Well this year they gave an award to to two people separately but they happen to be married together and they're doing similar sort of kind of things and, and we thought it would be really cool to, to give them both the award rather than just one of them or whatever the case is. And these are the two people. Uh, the, the, the The husband of the couple, works in Hollywood as a as a producer and and part of development on a lot of different TV shows right now that are happening. Um, some of the TV shows are um, um, Blackish. I know is one of them. The Voice is one of them. And there's like six or seven shows. You would know them all. I recognize. I just can't remember them right this second. But this this guy works on these TV shows. He he is. He, he, and he's not just like the guy that goes and gets coffee. He actually is is doing something pretty in investing into the whole situation. His wife, who we also acknowledge as as doing amazing things in the workplace, and this is a Christian university. These are Christian, I was about to say kids, but they're like 30. But they, they're, they're solid Christian people that are working in these settings. His wife is one of the producers and... Um, um, a strong right hand to Ellen of the Ellen DeGeneres show. Now, I was pretty amazed by that, and I was very proud and pleased. And it was interesting to me. I'm sitting there walking around. This is, there's, there's hundreds of extra people that are on the campus, and most of these are alumni that are, that are older. They, they've you know lived life, come back, and doing the, the homecoming stuff. And I'm sitting there listening, and there was actually some people, I would hear some conversations talking about, well, how can that woman work on the Ellen DeGeneres show? That Ellen is, that is not a good person. She's an ungodly woman. She's, she's not only a lesbian, but she's pushing the lesbian agenda and all this. And this other guy, some of the shows that they're part of, and I, I'm sure if I could remember the whole list, you would find one you didn't like too. But, but they, they, they were talking about how this is a horrible thing that these people, they need to stand up for the Lord. And I thought, what do you think they're doing? The fact that they are even professing to be Christians in that context. How anti-Christian, how anti-God to the point where they will shut you out and, and keep you from getting a job in those industries if you're a Christian. These people are openly Christian, very much vocal about their Christianity, and they're working, in my opinion, right in the middle of the kingdom that they need to be working in. That it would be the same thing as us picking on Daniel. And I guarantee you, I have no scriptural backing for this. This is just my thinking. I guarantee you that some of the slaves that didn't rise very high up in the kingdom assumed that Daniel was compromising. Right? It's almost a guarantee that was what's going on. But but we know that Daniel wasn't. The fact that God has taken these two young people and put them right in the middle of Hollywood in very... Um, Prominent positions to give great influence. One of the directors that the husband works with is the, is the director that's that's been doing some of these movies, like the 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 uh, the Shack and um, the the new movie that AD I think AD that was uh, is about the Book of Acts, which is one of the most accurate theological books about uh, movies about the Book of Acts. It's it's just now coming out. Um, one of the other movies, uh, Mully or it's, I can't remember, but you probably know what I'm talking about. This is the director, but he also does some TV shows that I'm—I'm sure I haven't even seen some of these, but I'm sure they have some questionable stuff in them. But at some point, these people are actually trying to serve God and trying to be a light in a dark place. Sometimes, when you're the slave, you don't get to choose all the stuff, but you can still be who you're supposed to be in the middle of this. I was very proud that Southwestern uh, honored these two people because it's, sometimes we've had a little bit of a tradition at that university to be a little bit conservative in these kind of things, and, and um, I'll just leave it at that. But, but I, was, I was pleased. I was proud to sit and just talk with them and say, guys, I, I, thank you for representing the kingdom of God. Thank you for representing Southwestern, a small Christian university in Texas, at some of the, some of the most visual prominent positions in in America, how cool is that? So they came and, and Daniel is faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Now this is one of those things that convicts me a little bit, and again, I don't like to be alone, so. I, I've thought about this before in a couple of ways. Let me, let me first present it out, and then I'll tell you how I process on a personal level. One is that the idea that sometimes we push against society, but it, but it appears to be a little bit hypocritical, so at least from my point of view. It appears to be a little bit hypocritical the way we do this in the church. So, so they'll make a, a rule. You can't pray in school. So all these Christians and churches and everything will make stances and, and petition and do all this other stuff, and how dare you say we can't pray in school? And, and it always... I wish I had the ability to sit down with, you know, the the marching lines with the signs, don't take prayer out of schools, and ask every single one of those people, do you pray at home? Is that something you do? Because you're really adamant that you should be allowed to pray in school, but do you pray at home? Do your kids know what parents' voices sound like when they're praying? Do kids know what it means for a family to do? I, I just saw a friend of mine um, online. He actually lives here and he does missions and stuff around the world. He, he, he um, worked for John Bevere for years. And, and um, he, his, he had an online, he had, his kids were talking about one of the daughters took the devotions this week because she said dad gets a little boring sometimes. And it was just a little funny thing on Facebook. But that really got me because in that family, you can tell that having devotions every day is what they do. Regardless of whether daughter thought dad was being uh, a waxing elephant or whatever, that, that apparently they have devotions every day. And the daughter wanted to take the ball and run with it. Now, if that guy and his family want to stand up and say, you've taken the Bibles out of school, you've taken prayer out of school, you've taken God out of school, I want to listen to that. Because that's an important thing to them. And I think sometimes as the church, we get all upset and get angry. We're not even really doing this stuff. We don't even really care at some particular level, but how dare you do this to us, you know, kind of thing. It, it, this is something that, that, that we're even seeing here, and this is where it comes to me personally is, he says here, our only chance of finding grounds to accuse Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. And what they're saying is his relationship with God. They're not, they're not verbalizing it that way, but that's what they're saying. And I've thought about this as a Pastor? Let me help you out a little bit how, how this works for me and, and my job and things like this. So I am voted in by the church, right? You, you, I work for the church. I work for you, the voters. I feel like a politician now. But you voted me in. And some of you are like, I'm new. I'm not responsible for this, you know. But, but I was voted in by the body. Now, why does that matter? Because my job is a little different than yours in this. If you got hired by somebody... You have a boss and you have a job description, all these kind of things even though I have some of that kind of stuff, uh, job description and things like that the within the within the strictest confines of this, the church is my boss right all of you are my boss now don't go crazy with that because at the end of the day I work for God all right so all right but so so you're my boss well here's the deal with this do you realize that our bylaws are actually even though I kind of have A job description mentality, it is so loose with a pastor. And basically anybody in this room right now, you say, well, I think the pastor should be doing that. There's not a lot I can argue about that. I disagree and agree with those mentalities. Some things, if you say, well, that's your job as a pastor, I would say, no, it's not. And some things I would say, yes, it is. All right? But here's the interesting thing. In this working context, this is my job. This is my livelihood. In this working context, you can get a few other people upset with me and get a petition started, and actually get me voted out, which is another really nice way of saying fired, just because you felt like I wasn't doing what you wanted me to do or something like that. Now, I have made some mistakes over the years. I have made some mistakes that really some people were going, really, you, you call yourself either youth pastor or pastor, to the point where they're saying, I don't even think you should be doing this job. And I legitimately was wrong. I shouldn't have said that or done that or, I, or maybe I took us a direction or, or, you know, we spent too much money and it didn't work out the way. I mean, there's bunches of stuff. I, probably, I haven't done all those things, other pastors. But, but I, I've made some mistakes over the years. I, just a few months ago, I dyed my hair and that one almost lost me this job here. I get that. <laughs> I get that. I won't do that again, all right? But, but with that, this scripture comes to, to light for me. This is, I want you to think about this in your context and, and I'm, I'm putting it in my context, but they said if we're going to get him fired, our only way of doing that is going to be his relationship with God. Think about that in your context. Is that, is that something you're living by or that mentality? Or quite honestly, is it because of those other things? Maybe you're not always faithful. Maybe you're not always being responsible. Maybe, maybe you're being critical. Maybe you're griping and complaining, getting a group of people signing. They actually talk about some of this. Look at this. So, so the administrators and the high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We're, you're awesome. You know. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors were all in agreement. There's a name missing from that list it's Daniel. Daniel was their boss. I just read that a couple of verses above. Daniel is their boss. And they're saying, we're all in agreement. We want to come up with a law. Except their boss wasn't privy to this uh, meeting that they had. You ever been in those situations in your workplace? You're having an ad hoc meeting in the break room? Nobody called the meeting, but that's what it is. And we're all, we're tearing down the boss. Who does he, she think they are? Yada, yada. Here's the thing that I think is easy for us to get caught up in, all the things of life. And when we go into the workplace, is the only thing that they could really attack us for is because we love the Lord? Or we give them really other things to attack us for? Legitimate things. Not being responsible, being lazy, doing whatever. When when you're working for a company, it is your responsibility to help that company move forward. It is your responsibility to do that. Are you giving your best at all times? Are you working hard? Not because everybody knows it or whatever. There are certain settings in certain contexts. In fact, some of you around here would know this even in the context of government and stuff like that. When you work for the government, sometimes the the culture is don't do too much, don't try too hard, right? Well, but is that okay for you? Is that all right for you? Anthony I have had this discussion before. In fact, um, Sergio here works for the railroad. Anthony used to work for the railroad, our children's pastor's husband. And a good friend of Anthony and I's that lives up by Denver has worked for the railroad for years. Because of the union of the railroad, you get in trouble if you work hard sometimes. We've discussed this. If you go do this guy's job, well, you just need to turn that switch. I can't turn that switch. That's not my job. There is a switch turner in the union. We will call him. At some point, you're like, what? When, when do you work hard just because you work hard? Give all. Now, understand, don't touch the switch. If you're going to getting a fire fire. Not, Sergio, don't touch the switch. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I will not be responsible for this. But in your heart, in your heart, you know what I'm talking about. Are you giving it everything? See, Daniel was giving it everything. The only thing they could find wrong with him was his spiritual walk. So they go to the king. They say all this stuff. We're all in agreement. So they say, give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. You understand that the king of the Medes was not a Christian. He wasn't a God-fearing. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't praying to God. He, he, he was an ungodly man. He wasn't, he wasn't doing God's plans and will and things like that. He was an ungodly man to the point where that when they came and said, we should only be praying to you, he's like, that is a good idea. I like that. And and here's the thing. Daniel was a godly man serving in an ungodly kingdom that was doing ungodly things. Again, these two people at at Southwestern, I I I was honored to get to meet them and know them and talk to them because they're godly people in an ungodly context that's trying to accomplish ungodly things, and they're serving God. They're saying, but we're going to serve God. And this is what Daniel is doing here. And so the, the king issues the law. Verse 9, he signs the law. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, and this is where it can be very convicting for us. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, that you're not allowed to pray to anybody except King Darius. When he learned that that law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual, Again, what I was saying earlier, we can get mad about prayer in schools, but are we praying at home? Is that what we are usually doing? As usual, <clears throat> he goes into his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem and he prayed three, where he prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving things to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help because they knew that's where he was going to be. They didn't have to try to figure this out. They knew it. So they went straight to the king and told him about the law, and he said, you signed it. And we see later where the king gets really upset about this. I mean, he tries to fix it. When, he, when they realize that Daniel is the one, when he realized that, that they, he, they had tricked him and, and Daniel was the bad guy in the, in the scenario, the king felt horrible, and he realized, I've goofed. Why? He, you want to know some leadership 101? This is some good leadership. You own a business. You, you've got people that work for you. This is one to strap on. This is important. All of these, Daniel was completely faithful to the king, completely responsible for what the king had given him. He was all in with the king. Even though the king wasn't a godly king or whatever, Daniel was all in with the king. And the people, and and the king knew this. In fact, he says later, he tries to figure out a way to keep Daniel from being thrown into the lion's den because Daniel is all in. And he knows this. But the people that came to the king to attack Daniel they acted like they were all in with the king. Oh, king, we worship you. You're the man. Everybody should only pray to you. And so on the top, it appears like they are actually wanting to worship King Darius. They, they, were, they could care less about praying to King Darius. It had nothing to do with this. They weren't all on board with the king. You want to know some basic leadership here? When you know somebody is committed and all in, whoever is attacking them to you is not all in with you. Don't just assume, well, they're they're both all in with me. They just don't like each other. Because here's the thing. Daniel was not attacking them. Even though he probably had plenty of reasons to, he was not attacking them. But they were attacking Daniel. Why? Because they could care less about Daniel or the king. It was all about them. And that's a basic understanding when it comes to, to to workplace leadership, all these kind of things. Somebody after first service came up and said that they had known this person for years. That used to used to make fun of and complain about other people in the workplace. And he said, "I assume that this guy was always doing the same with me too when I wasn't around." So you can guarantee it. If you, if somebody at your workplace is gossiping about somebody else, they're gossiping about you too. Don't be naive. Don't be silly here. If they're complaining about the boss to you, they're complaining to the boss about you. Did I say that? Okay, all right, run with that. Because why? That's who they are. It's not just what they're doing. That's who they are. These guys were undermining the king and Daniel. So <clears throat> there's, a, there's something I wanted to, to bring out here to help you see something here that I think is important. So Daniel is praying as he usually does. I, I went to the Quran and some writings about the Quran and, and was looking at um, Muhammad here. And there's, there's something interesting that, that's going on. Uh, this is a direct quote that is how a Muslim should pray. Okay, They should turn one's face and whole body towards the Kaaba, the holy house of Mecca. And the word Mecca is, is uh, what we call uh, Mecca. We would use the term Mecca, and they would say Mecca, okay? So, so a good Muslim is supposed to pray. Now, they pray five times a day. They pray toward Mecca. They, they turn toward Mecca. In fact, we, we saw this. I've, I've been in different countries. This happened. I've seen this in India. In fact, one of the places that we stayed when we were in India, in the Muslim part of India, uh, most of it's Hindu, but this Muslim part of India, there was a, a speaker literally right outside the room I was staying in, where they're doing the call to prayer, and this happens five times a day, and it goes over loudspeakers over all the city, big city, metropolitan city, cities bigger than Denver. There, you can <clears throat> you can stand in that city anywhere, and you will hear the call to prayer five times. There's that many speakers, that much going on all the time, five times a day. Called it, and and at five in the morning, or whenever the first one starts, I mean, it's right there and it's loud. And, I mean, it's just blaring. That was pretty good, though. If you've been in Muslim countries, that's pretty good, wasn't it? So, uh, so this happens five times a day. And, and every one of those Muslims will obey the Quran. They will turn toward Mecca. Hotel rooms. You go into hotels in, in Muslim-predominant areas or countries, and there will be an arrow somewhere on the floor or on the wall in that room that points toward Mecca. That's because you're going to pray toward Mecca. Let me give you a little insight here, a little bit of history. So, Muhammad made the rule to pray toward Mecca, but interestingly, when Muhammad was a teenager and a very young man, he prayed toward Jerusalem, just like Daniel did. He read the Torah, the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. That's what he read. He also had knowledge of and was interacting with uh, the New Testament, although uh I don't believe he was ever a Christian. He was a God-fearing, for the most part, Jewish person as a young man. And he prayed toward Jerusalem, just like Daniel did, prayed toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, prayed toward Jerusalem. Um, this I, I don't have time to go into all the details. I'll just give you a basic couple highlights to get this. As a middle uh, 20s, late 20s-something young man, um, he met a woman that was in her 40s and married her, and she basically kept him. He was a kept man. She was a cougar, and he no longer needed to work. He now had uh, support. He could do whatever he wanted to. He didn't have to work. Immediately, he gets caught up in doing a lot of things he shouldn't be doing. He becomes a drug addict, serious drug addict. Um, starts having all of these spiritual revelations. He would go to a cave and have these spiritual revelations. His wife and his older wife, his wife and his best friend, said that they saw him at different times having these words from God, which is where the the Quran came from. He wrote the Quran, uh, at least uh, most of the second half of the Quran. He wrote in these caves as divine revelations from God, and his wife and his and his best friend basically said that these were demonic visitations and that he was possessed and Satan was speaking to him at that moment. That was their own visual assumption of what was going on spiritually at that particular time. At this same time frame, he becomes a drug addict. He starts having these demonic uh, moments, all this other kind of stuff. He's starting to write uh, the second part of the Quran. The first part of the Quran talks about God and talks about Abraham, talks about it's kind of a peaceful book for the most part. In fact, if somebody says the Quran's a peaceful book, it's because they didn't finish it. They only read the first few chapters, and it was basically a peaceful book. Then he goes into this little city, and he attacks this little city and a few thousand people, and, and they're all Jewish people, and he kills them all, slaughters the entire city with this little army that he had put together from some of his drug uh, trade money and some stuff like that, and because his wife was a very successful trade person, a trader, and so that's how he would ship drugs and things. and. And, um, and he makes a lot of money, and he goes in and he slaughters all these Jewish people in this city, sets up a holy site. Today, we call that place Mecca, and that's where he started praying to Mecca. So let me give you a little visual picture to put together here. At first, like Daniel, he prayed toward Jerusalem. I'll explain that more in a second. It has to do with that's where God was. I mean, it's, we understand it's not where God physically was, but we understand that that represented the place where where the temple was and the Holy of Holies. And so they would point themselves physically toward that to say, that's where I'm going to pray to remind me that I'm talking to God. Then all of a sudden it becomes about him, becomes about his drug addictions. It becomes about his life. He becomes very violent, goes in and slaughters this, sets up his own holy site, creates Allah to pray to, and begins, well, he didn't actually do it. He took it from something and and starts praying to Allah and facing toward Mecca, the place of his um, dominance over a people group. And, and this is one of the things that I think is interesting with us. In our prayer life today, it would be very important for us to have some, some physical um, direction and posturing that goes along with the spiritual mentality to keep us on track. I think for Daniel to go up into his room every single day, three times a day, and to pray toward Jerusalem was saying, I may be in this kingdom. I may be under the authority of the kingdom of, of, uh, of the Medes, but Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to the place of my homeland. I'm looking to the place where you would visit us as a people. And while I can't build a temple in the kingdom of the Medes because they don't serve you, God, I can face my attitude, my heart, my life and have a spiritual discipline of intentionality to say I'm going to spend some time that's just you and me, God. And this idea I was talking about earlier about, well, we just do this praying all day long, talking to God all day long. I think there's some importance to that. But I also think there needs to be some very basic intentionality and alone time with God, too. It, that, that is extremely necessary in our relationship with God, and Daniel does this. And, and, and Muhammad used to when he first started, and then after a while it became about him, and now there is a place called Mecca that you pray to a God that's not even God. Think about what, what Muhammad himself individually was responsible for that's happening today now. How many people are led away from actually serving God and serving a false god named Allah all, all because he got addicted to drugs and came up with some weird writings that, that, uh, that according to his wife and friend said were demonically inspired. Think about that. Just, just turning his heart, I'm, I'm using a physical representation of this, but turning his heart from Jerusalem toward Mecca. Turning his heart away from God and toward himself. And how many people are part of that today? I think it's important for us to say, God, I'm going to physically put myself into a place. And I want to pick on some things. It's not a big deal, but I just want to process it with us. I I think it's nice when we're praying, you know, to have worship music and things like that. Different people do different things. But I also think sometimes it's important to turn everything off. Not have all that other stuff on. And I've had people say to me, well, I can't pray without worship music. To me, that would be the same thing as saying something like this. Um, I can't talk to my wife without music playing. Or here's another one. Um, I can't talk to my wife unless the football game is on. Right? Somebody like, hmm, I felt the Lord there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Is there ever a place in our life that we have that we're saying, Jesus, it's just you and me, there's no, no other input? no outside nothing it's just you and just you and me i just want to i just want to be with you i just want to talk to you i don't need all the other stuff turn off the radio turn off the tv turn off all the stuff turn off the worship music send the kids to to the basement i don't know what to do but but lock in just you and the lord just you and me god we're just going to spend some time together we we do have where the, i was talking about joy and peace and all this other stuff last week look at this in philippians chapter 4 As I was talking last week, that that stuff doesn't come just casually. It has to be intentional. Verse 4, always be full of the joy of the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Now, look, considering all you do, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. This all comes from the joy. It says, be full of the joy. Then, Then it says, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all His is done. Then you will experience God's peace. Do you see the sequence? The joy of the Lord is in your existence, and so you're going to be considered. You're going to remember that the Lord is coming. You're not going to worry about stuff. Instead, you're going to pray. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is inside of you. You've spent time with him. You're going to pray about everything. Then, verse 7, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. We're wanting this joy, wanting this peace, but I think sometimes we think we can get there kind of going around this, this interconnected relationship with God. And I understand part of the reason we do that, the reason we don't necessarily want to go into the Lord to have the joy and the peace is because conviction is in there too. Right when there's when their presence of God is there, that, there's conviction. But I can promise you, and, and many of you have experienced this. When you really allow the Holy Spirit to convict you, and you begin to work on these kind of things, that's actually where joy rises up stronger, and that's where peace comes from stronger. Because you and the Lord are getting some things right. When I say you and the Lord, it's you. Right. We're getting the stuff right that we need with God, and that's where the joy of the Lord comes in, the peace comes in. Jesus gives us two life example models with this. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, it says, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat, cross to the other side of the lake, while he sent the people home. He isolates himself. Everybody else go away. Get, get, go home. Get away from here. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. In other words, he was there for a while. He went to pray. He went up to the mountains by himself to pray. If the king of everything, God in human flesh, needs to spend some time with God talking and interacting, we probably do too. Right? At least a little bit. We need, some, we need some of that alone time. Jesus could not do all the stuff that he was doing. In fact, when he picks the disciples, it says the night before he had spent all night praying, and then the next morning he comes and picks the disciples. I don't think that's just the next element of the story. I think they're cause and effect. That, okay, I need to pick the disciples. Well, I need to spend some time with God to know who to do that with. Who are the disciples going to be? Who are they? God, I need to spend some time with you so that when I get to that person and I see it, when I walk up to Peter, I think, hey, that's going to be a good disciple. Because Peter was probably being a smart aleck to somebody at the time. And Jesus would have said, mm, I don't know. And I can tell you personally, I'm glad that Jesus picks the guys like Peter. The Lord told him to. Because I'm a whole lot more like that guy than I would like to admit. somebody like, I don't see that, but yeah. <laughs> Luke 9, verse 18. One day Jesus let the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do people say that I am? I love that. The question, this big question comes as a time of praying. He's spending time talking to God. He's praying. He's praying. He's seeking God. He's taking that intentional time. And then he says, when he's processing all this stuff, then he says to the disciples, "Now, who do you say that I am? You think there's some introspection going on there, some some evaluation? Am I getting the job done? Am I getting the message out? Some, some, you know, I need to hear your voice on this. What's happening here? We do this to, to a tiny little extent on Monday mornings. Every Monday morning we kind of talk about the weekend, and I say, do everybody, um, you know, how'd the weekend go? We're talking about, you know, whatever, the, the temperature in the room, the lights, the, the greeters. I mean, just everything. <clears throat> and uh, then I'll say, okay, what about the, the uh, message? And most of the time, everybody says, oh, it's a good pastor, and that's it. You know, in other words, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about this. You know, it's that kind of thing. But every now and then, somebody will say, well, when you said this, now I'm interested. Even if they said it was the stupidest thing I ever heard. I'm okay, at least we're, we're analyzing it. At least we're processing it. it. doesn't matter whether they're wrong. It's just the fact that we're analyzing it. And we're just kind of breaking it down and saying, hey, this is, this is something. This is something. I hadn't thought about it like that, or I think this is good for us right now, or just something. Why? This is what I think Jesus is doing. He had spent some time praying, really seeking after God, and he wanted some feedback from people. God, you and I have been talking, now let's look at this. The key here is he went and spent some time with the Lord alone. I'm going to have Marcus come up, and we're gonna, he's going to uh, play and sing. And, uh, and we're going we're to do some things with this, really looking at what it means to pray. Now, again, next week I'm going to focus in on the praying and the fasting. And next week we're going to make kind of a commitment to uh, spend some time praying and specifically fasting uh, the following week. So you might be looking at your calendar and processing how you can, how you can get some of that done. But but I want us to think about this. I, I, I wrote three things down here. The first thing is, is I must discipline myself to be a praying person. That's your choice. Praying is something you choose. It's not something that just happens. I must discipline myself. I must, I must physically turn toward Jerusalem. I have no idea which direction Jerusalem is right now from us. But I don't think you have to turn toward Jerusalem. All right? We we're the church. But I do think you have to have some intentional time where you say, um, Lord, I'm I'm turning myself to you physically, turning myself to you so that I can spend some spiritual time with you. And then the second thing is that I need intentional alone time, that this is, it's not just, God, I'm going to spend some time with you. But I I need to have some of those times need to be alone. They need to be isolated, just me and God. And then the third part of this is the fact that my joy and my peace actually come from this alone time. Why don't you stand with me? bow your head with me and let's pray God we, we, we need you to stir us with this Lord I ask you for every single one of us in here that you push our hearts our minds our spirits towards you at this point that we need to be thinking intentionally about you and what we're going to do with this Lord I, I want to be like Daniel I don't, I don't want to create something it's more in the vein of what Muhammad was doing. And I don't want my life to be about me and the, the direction that I'm walking or facing or thinking or even praying is about me. I want it to be about you. So I want the mindset that Daniel had. Lord, I want to turn my heart toward Jerusalem. I want to face you, Lord God. And I want to, I want to isolate myself, although it's just you and me. Just you and me, Lord God. I thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus keep your head bowed and, and this is what we're doing it's not going to be a, a formal uh, step for this It's I would like us to do two basic things, make a decision and then spend some time talking to God about what that decision looks like and this is the decision I'm going to be intentional about my prayer and my time, specifically this week, maybe it will start something long term but let's just worry about this week I'm going to be intentional, I'm going to spend this time this day, this time every day, I'm going to spend this talking to the Lord. I, I, I'm going to pray on Tuesdays at 5. Instead of going getting a cup of coffee at the break room, I'm going, to, I'm going to spend some time just praying. Just Nobody else around, I'm just going to talk to you, God. Maybe go sit out in the car in the parking lot. But you're being intentional. Put the kids to bed. Uh, spend that 30 minutes before you go to bed. I'm just going to spend some time, Lord, I'm going to talk to you. And you're going to make an, a, a, a commitment to the Lord in your heart. You're going to make a commitment to the Lord right now that says, this is how I'm going to spend some time with Jesus uh, this week that's that's bigger, more unique um, th- than than usual. This is this is the commitment that I'm making. And then, and, and Marcus is going to be leading us in this song. You can sing, I'll sing or whatever, but as, a, as a far as the service is considered you're, you're done we're, we're done with the service you're dismissed but before you leave to make the decision this is where I'm going to spend time with the Lord and um, maybe spend a few minutes before you leave just talking to him and saying okay God these are some of the obstacles that usually come up these are some things but Lord let's work through those give me direction give me whatever and, um, and, that, and that's how we do this God put it in our hearts we commit to you in our hearts right now, of how and then help us with it. Help, it's we need your help, it's not always that easy. So, Lord, we, we put ourselves here in front of you to say, You be in charge, we commit ourselves in Jesus' name. Here I am down.